What's it like to grow up in the shadow of the steeple of a church? We'll be talking with someone who has done just that, and it's a family conversation. Cameron Mason Vickery is my daughter, but she is also a theologian, a public school advocate, a minister, a mother, a wife, a remarkable story, one I think you'll want to tune in for on Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I have a special privilege today to welcome to our program, Cameron Vickery. Let me say it differently. Her name is Cameron Mason Vickery, mm -hmm. and she is my oldest daughter. And so welcome, Cameron. Thank you for finally having me on your show. Finally. Okay, so <laughs> this has been something, has been a goal for you in life? No, or something? no, I'm okay. kidding. But um, yeah. uh -huh. I, uh, since I've watched every episode, um, read every episode, I've worked on the transcripts, people may not know that I help kind of produce the um, Good God Project and work on the website and everything. So it's fun to be on this side of it. Right, so Cameron works for uh, Upward Strategy Group and mm -hmm. has a contract with us with Faith Commons and with uh, Good God. So uh, yes, the things that people hear and see and read uh, are uh, often have your hand on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of an all-in-the-family project, isn't it? It is, yes. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, Cameron, so you live in San Antonio now. Yep. Um, three little girls, my beautiful granddaughters, yes. and you are the oldest of our three children. Mm -hmm. So I think people would be probably interested to know, growing up as a preacher's kid and having three preacher's kids now uh, yourself, uh, because you are married to Garrett Vickery, who is a pastor yes. also. Um, how did you discern your own sense of call to the work that you do, which really is a lot of um, faith-based advocacy, I would say, right. right? We'll talk more about that in detail, but uh, I, I think there's a, a, a fascinating story that is very touching to me to remember about your own discernment of call mm -hmm. because uh, everyone would know that you also have a divinity school degree, right. uh, a master's of divinity and are a minister. And so even though you're working in this other space and being a mom, mm -hmm. uh, you have your own sense of call. Describe what that discernment process was for you. Well, you know, I think growing up being a preacher's kid, I'm unusual in the sense that I stayed at the same church growing True. up. That's right. Um, because you've been at Wilshire for 30 years. Right. Um, I'm 35. <laughs> so right. You started kindergarten when yes, we came. Right, That's when right. When we came, and so I'm very lucky for that. Um, and so I had a deep love for this for Wilshire, mm -hmm. for the church that I grew up in. Um, and I knew, I think, because of that, I knew that I wanted that to be a major part of my life mm -hmm. in some way. And so I started to feel a call to ministry, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if that's really what it was. Yes. Um, but um, I started exploring that a little bit and wondering, wondering if that's where God was calling me, to church ministry or to ministry in some form. Um, and eventually I came to you and 
talk to you about it. Well, my recollection of that is that you were doing a youth internship one summer mm -hmm. with us. Right. And so part of our internship program with college students is to give them an opportunity to see if they have a taste for this work, right. for ministry. Right, and but I think it even started back in high school. Okay. Um, I uh -huh. think I was very involved in the youth group. Right. Had a wonderful youth group experience, thanks right. to Darren DeMint, our yes. youth minister. Um, and I, I think I started feeling it a little bit then, um, and certainly a couple summers later when I came back to be a, a youth intern mm -hmm. here. Um, and, and so I remember coming to you and saying, you know, I, I'm wondering if I'm being called to ministry I just don't know. I definitely have a love for church, but I'm wondering if I have a love for all churches and ministry in general mm -hmm. or just for this church. Right. Um, and so that was definitely part of my exploration process um, is trying to, to figure that out because so much of my understanding just came from one place. Right. Um, and my experience. And so college was really good for that, going to different churches. Sure. And I did internships mm -hmm. in other places and that really mm -hmm. helped. Um, but then the other piece of it, which I know you like, is um, <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't know if I was hearing God's voice or just your voice mm -hmm. um, in my heart, you know, because you had been my only pastor, mm -hmm. really, for my whole life. And uh, so there was, there was definitely a process of trying to understand that, too, and, and figure that out. Um, and so, but I did feel called to ministry of some sort. I've never felt called to a specific kind of ministry. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I never, you know, a lot of your work has been on the formation of pastors. Right. And you've been a huge advocate for women in ministry and women pastors. Um, and I've never felt pulled in that direction specifically. Mm -hmm. But um, but some kind of ministry or, you know, work because of my faith in the advocacy world or the nonprofit world, something, but I, it's never been very specific for me. Um, and so when I went to divinity school, I think mm -hmm. that that often drove my professors crazy. Ah, because they, they wanted more clarity from you too. Well, it's much easier to work with someone that knows where they're going right. and knows what they want. Right. I mean, one of my internships while I was in divinity school at Wake Forest was at a Pilates studio. Ah, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, connecting mind and body with the soul and right. that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I've just never had a really super clear sense of direction, but that has also never bothered me. Um, right, I've it just bothers everyone else. Bothers everybody yeah. else. <laughs> right, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I do think that's actually something we're all trying to get adjusted to now, and mm -hmm. that is uh, that there are more ways to imagine serving God in the world than maybe in times past we understood. Mm -hmm. where for women especially, uh, a generation or more ago, their choices when they went to went into ministry and went to seminary were limited to become a missionary or become mm -hmm. a pastor's wife. And oh, that yeah. was pretty much it. Uh, maybe children's, children's ministry too. Or Sorry. children's director. A children's right. director, <laughs> not a minister because yeah. you, and so now that there's more equality mm -hmm. and opportunity, there. There, there also is more of an imagination in the workplace about different ways that people might serve. And actually, I think seminary and divinity schools are trying to catch up to that because mm -hmm. they realize that uh, everyone is not called to be a pastor. Right. And 
if they limited the people who came only to pastors, they'd have really small schools and they wouldn't survive. So they're trying to mm -hmm. uh, broaden that out somewhat. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I, I want to go back a little bit to this discernment of voices. Oh, yeah. Right. So um, I, I think this is not just your experience, but I think it's the experience of a lot of people, whether it's with their parents mm -hmm. or with their pastors or with someone who is an admired mentor who uh, really puts a finger on you and says, you know, I really see this in you and I think uh, you, you should really consider this direction. Mm -hmm. Probably most people who come to an understanding of their vocation have some human voice that they perceive as channeling the divine voice, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that may not always be true. And figuring out how, as the scripture says, to discern the spirits mm -hmm. is really an, a, an interesting challenge, especially when relationships like these are often loaded with love and familial ties and uh, hopes and expectations That's and right. all those sorts of things. So how did you finally figure out that this maybe was God's voice and not mine, or mm -hmm. God's voice through mine, and it, it would be okay to affirm it, and, and mm -hmm. do you have any guidance about that? Well, I remember a scripture, a story that really helped me with mm -hmm. this, and it was the story of Elijah uh -huh. on, in the cave, yes. and waiting for God to come by, ah. and let him know that it was okay to come out. Okay. Right. Yeah. And he heard the earthquake and the fire and yes. what all was it? The yeah, the the <laughs> I always think of the musical group Earth Wind and Fire and uh -huh. then and then it was the still small voice. And then it was the still small voice. Right. And Elijah because he had such a relationship with God, he was able to recognize uh, that one's God. Nice. And I think I just decided to trust that I'd had this relationship, this faith foundation right. with God for as long as I was conscious of it. Right. And that if I felt like I was hearing God's voice, I probably was. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I dedicate babies in the church, mm -hmm. one of the things that I say over and over again is I ask parents, are they willing to keep this child within the precincts of the temple? Mm -hmm with a reference to right. Jesus when he was dedicated, uh, in order that the child may learn the voice of God yeah. so as to discern God's unique call and claim upon their lives. Exactly. And so clearly you had that experience yeah. because we reared you in the church and you were a preacher's kid so you didn't have much choice. But. Mm -hmm. uh, Nonetheless, mm -hmm. uh, you were able to figure that out. This is a challenge, I think, increasingly for uh, people who don't have that inner life cultivated spiritually. Right. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a sense of how things are changing for children and young adults in the church in that respect? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so many churches want to get kids out of worship or, or not right. invite kids into worship right? Um, because they're wiggly and it's hard. Yes. Um, 
Not your kids, of course. Well, <laughs> it's funny, I was just telling you yes. that uh, yesterday was a Sunday, and uh, we went to our early worship service, which is a little bit more casual, right. um, and it's folding chairs instead of pews, and oh, my kids were awful. <laughs> they were awful. And they're nine, seven, and four, and they know how to behave in worship, and right. they just forgot that day, uh -huh. and they were so distracting. I mean, mm -hmm. they probably got up a half a dozen times for right. whatever reason. They scattered crayons across all the floor. They, mm -hmm. you know, it was everything. And I was humiliated. Um, and I had the thought, why are we even here? You know, right. because I didn't hear a word of it. Right. I was so busy with them. And, um, but, you know, I do know, thank goodness I know, that even when it seems like they're not soaking anything in, that they're not paying attention, mm -hmm. um, it's getting through. Right. Something is getting through, whether it's even just the mystery of what are they doing with that bread and that grape juice? Yes. You know, um, actually, this is a little controversial in the Baptist world, but I let them take communion. Uh -huh. I don't know if we've talked about this. I don't think so. Um, and, you know, I've had people ask me, well, they're not baptized yet. Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my theory is that this is a symbol of the abundant life with ah, Jesus. Okay. And um, I want them, even if they don't understand it, like Zeta even, my uh, middle daughter, even calls it a snack. A snack. Oh, do we get a snack today? Mm -hmm. And at first I was really sort of offended by that. Oh, Zeta, mm -hmm. it's not a snack. It's really sacred. Uh -huh. um, right. But then I just decided, well, it's something she looks forward to. Right. And she can know that this is something special that she gets in church because God loves her. Okay. You know? Uh -huh. um, and so she doesn't understand it. They're not going to understand a lot about worship, right. but I think there's a sense of mystery and sacredness that is sinking into their spirit. And just the practice of listening for God and hearing these, witnessing these holy moments and being a part of them, that yes. they're not too young, um, is really important. And it's just so hard, I think, for young families to do that um, because you know, you may sacrifice your own sense of worship for right. a little bit. Right. Um, but it is, it is really Well, important. I can just hear all of my sacramental friends cheering um, for you <laughs> for making that decision because their, their idea about the sacraments is uh, that they work on you before you're aware that they're working right. on you. Exactly. Whether it's, you know, um, the, the supper or uh, even baptism for those who are in infant mm -hmm. baptizing traditions, that they have a way of drawing you into the mystery of faith. And, right. But it's not just those particular rituals. What I hear you saying is that it's actually participating in the life of a worshiping congregation mm -hmm. where they're hearing preaching and they're listening to songs and they're learning tunes and uh, and, and phrases that and that they're they're learning how to pray and mm -hmm. to be reverent and to mm -hmm. be quiet and to engage in various ways so simply the presence of being among the people of God performing this act of worship mm -hmm. has a kind of shaping influence on the soul. Yes. Right? So, mm -hmm. well, let's pick that up after our break. Okay. Okay. The Good God Program is a project of Faith Commons, a nonprofit organization I founded in 2018 to help promote the common good. Doing public theology across 
faith traditions and across racial and ethnic lines is an important thing today in our communities. We hope you'll continue to enjoy Good God, but look at some of the other things we're doing also through Faith Commons at www.faithcommons.org. We're back with Cameron Vickery, and Cameron, we were talking earlier about your sense of call and how it led you to seminary eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, first, you went off to college, mm -hmm. and what did you major in? Art history. Okay, that seems such an obvious thing, right? <laughs> that you went to, to uh, college to study art history. Why was that? That's a really good question, Dad. Um, you know, I think by that time, I knew that I was going to probably head for seminary. Really? Because you never told me that. No, see, I think you're not remembering exactly right. Okay. I think I did know that by the time I went to college. Well, really? Yeah. And, uh, or, or was starting to wrestle with it. Okay. And so, well, I am old, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I got to remind you <laughs> of okay. how things were. Yeah. Um, and so I... Yeah, I didn't want to double dip in religion. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to major in religion. And Which then, I think is a great idea. Right. Mm -hmm. I wanted something different, something exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I did love art and art history. Um, and you are very artistic yourself, actually. I, yes, I enjoy it. Um, right. And so that's something that you and I have always loved to do together is right. go to art museums and mm -hmm. um, you know, one time we went to Italy and yes. that really sealed the deal for me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, and of course, art and art history and religion, historically, they go together, you know, they go together really well. And I think so. I was really fascinated by that connection. So all my, yeah. uh, all my papers in art history had to do with, you know, theology. Oh, and interesting. Religious art and, right. and that kind of connection. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I feel like I have a really bad memory. People always want me to explain the significance of this or that painting mm -hmm. um, from history, and I'm like, oh, I gotta <laughs> really gotta refresh my memory on that. But um, but I really loved the major. It was so fun, and I got to spend time in Italy during college. Sure, for that. sure. Um, okay, so, so college was at Furman University. At Furman, sorry, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, and in then South Carolina, yep. off to Wake Forest Divinity School. And then I went to Wake Forest for Divinity School um, right. and got to study with Bill Leonard. Yes. And um, Diane Lipsett was my New Testament and Greek professor. Yes. I loved her so much. And Frank Tupper, who right. introduced me to my love of theology. All right. So let's talk about that yeah. because we had really a, a serendipitous time, I think, when you were studying theology with Frank Tupper. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> you, you came back uh, home and was, you were rum rummaging through my library at mm -hmm. church and asked if you could borrow uh, the book, A Theology of Hope mm -hmm. by um, Jürgen Moltmann. And I said, sure, you could do that. And then um, I remember you calling me from school and saying, Dad, all, all the things you underlined and the things you said in the margins were things I would have done and were thinking as well, which you know really made me uh, proud. Mm -hmm. And then you made a discovery along the way about Moltmann and, and our connection yeah, as well. Yeah, so the first Moltmann book I read actually was Trinity and the Kingdom. Yes. And it just completely shifted my perspective okay. of theology. And I, I just 
Yeah, I had I had such a moment with that book. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I stayed up all night reading yes. one night. I remember in the next morning I was I found myself in Dr. Tupper's office um, just saying, I can't believe this. I just right. never thought of it this way and this changes everything. Yes. Um, and and then that's when I came and wanted to read more Maltmont and I borrowed your book and right. you know, I was telling you all about this and you said well, yeah. Didn't you know that I wrote my dissertation on Maltman's, <laughs> pers- Maltman's view of the th- Trinity, theology yeah, of the Trinity? Exactly. I had no idea. <coughs> so, what was it you think that captured your attention so much mm-hmm. about his theology that changed everything for you in terms of the way you viewed yeah. the faith and the world and all of that? I think it was how relational ah, it is. Yeah. Um, how relational the Trinity is. Yes. It's not the hierarchical, you know, you've got the Father and then the Son and the Spirit down yes. here. Or, um, you know, the perichoresis right. of the Trinity that Moltmann talks about. And then even more than that, the way that it's even open for us to become a part of it. Right, right. Um, so for those who are, are not theologically trained, perichoresis the root word is like choreography, mm-hmm. right? Which is dance, mm-hmm. right? And parry around. So there's a, th- this, the idea of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this mm-hmm. dance of the Trinity, this sort of circulation of relational love and sharing mm-hmm. that is part of a bond of, of relationship that makes God, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and welcomes us onto the dance floor, uh, yeah. welcomes us to come in and be and in part fact, of it. In fact, I always effect. picture that with um, Matisse's painting of the dance. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And there's, there's not just three people dancing. Right. There you go. And to me, that's the perfect picture of the Trinity. Ah, uh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. And there's that wonderful um, painting by Rublev of the, the Trinity as yeah. well. Mm-hmm that has the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pictured, but mm-hmm. then there is, is on the table, there is that, that blank mirror. spot that we think was a mirror originally, a mirror. Yeah. Uh, which is to say so that powerful. you're invited into this. Mm-hmm. Look, can, can you find yourself in this yeah, picture, exactly. right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful idea. Mm-hmm. Well, so, <coughs> so, so that's all a bit more esoteric in mm-hmm. terms of theology and uh, it's the kind of thing that gets people like you and me excited because we have ideas that are new and, and all, but bringing it down to the practical level, mm-hmm. how does it change everything to begin to view life like that in the church and mm-hmm. religious community and the way people relate in the world? What are some practical outworkings of that, would you say? Well, it should change the way we view each other. Yeah. You know, if I can be kind of part of this relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then so can anybody. Yes. Um, and so it puts us all kind of on an equal playing field. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's that. Then there's there's this whole idea of the new creation mm-hmm. um, and the work that God is trying to bring about in the world mm-hmm. and and needs us. Yes. You know, to be a part of that. And I think that that was really significant for me to think about partnering with God, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to bring about this new creation. Right. Well, for me, some of the implications of this have to do with 
how do we break the patriarchy that has been part oh, of the historical sure, yeah. culture? Yeah. Right? So, you know, y you and I are in traditional roles still, mm -hmm. but we are working hard to make sure that they are roles of choice mm -hmm. and not roles that have been assigned to us. Right. right? So, I'm a, a male, I'm in the pastor role, mom is, um, you know, a, a pastor's wife, but you are as well, and yet you are finding a new way in doing that, and yeah. your husband, Garrett, may be the least patriarchal mm -hmm. pastor I know. He is an mm -hmm. incredible example of, yeah. of a, an egalitarian partner in ministry. And um, in marriage. And in marriage. Um, however, I haven't told you this story, but I, I teach Sunday school. Yes. Mom teaches Sunday school. True. You know? um, and you and Garrett are both the preachers. Right. So one of my daughters asked me just recently, um, so if you're a woman, I guess you just teach Sunday school and only the men can preach because Ooh. pops and daddy preach, but you and Giddy teach Sunday school. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, here we go. I thought I failed. <laughs> like, well. Yep. Um, the modeling is really important. It's so important. Yes. And what's interesting, Garrett and I were talking about this, he's so um, sensitive right. to having the woman's voice yes. on the platform, um, tries to have a woman pray or lead in worship in some way, you know, but mm -hmm. he does most of the preaching. Mm -hmm. And so when he's gone, he likes to have a woman preach right. and fill the pulpit for him. But when he's gone, we're gone usually. Right. And so my girls don't really get to benefit from that. So yes. I thought, okay, I got to work harder to right. show them that this is this is not a man's thing. Yes. You know, the woman's yes. place is not teaching Sunday school. Right. But you're right. I mean, it's we know that we believe that, and yet we're kind of still in these traditional roles, and so it's right. just a constant struggle. It's never going to be finished. Right. And I I don't think that we have to say that. Um, the, the only way that we are part of that solution is for us to change our own um, particular sense of call, mm -hmm. uh, but rather to make sure that we are advocates for and participating in a wider opportunity for people, which is to say that, you know, I need to find ways also for women to be preaching and to have pastoral residents who are women and mm -hmm. uh, women colleagues. Uh, but yes, I mean, role modeling is really an important part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I think I pick up about the practical implications of how things should change is, is defeating the patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, that to, to create really a sense that men as men do not rule the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's men and women together who participate in God's creation. Okay. Um, an another thing, though, that strikes me about uh, this common theological understanding that, that we are part of is the idea that Christianity's role in the world is not to conquer it in the name of Christ, mm -hmm. but to serve it in the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and that we are not trying to um, win for ourselves, so to speak, but we're trying to invite the world to be 
liberated to know its true self. Mm -hmm. And that in doing so, we can find partners who don't even confess their faith in Christ, but who are nonetheless already part of what God is up to in the world. And yeah. so we, we don't have to worry about um, do they agree with us, but we can think about the liberation of the world and the glorification of God at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, and to me, that's a, a really freeing sort of way to look at what the role of the church is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. So, uh, so then I think um, theology was a big part of this. Church is a big part of this. If you have anything to leave people with today in the, in the place you work and serve and in the roles you have as a mother, a minister, a spouse of a, 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 a pastor, what would you like to say, especially to young adult parents today, mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. the importance of church? Yeah, um, you know, I have a friend that just recently started coming to our church. Um, their family started visiting and joined because my oldest daughter, Finley, invited them. Um, invited her friend. Yay. Yeah. And they do not stop talking about this feeling of community that they nice. have found that they didn't know they were so unhappy before ah. and so lonely. And yeah. they have so much family that lives in San Antonio all around them, but they weren't connected to a community of faith. And it has totally transformed their lives. Okay. They feel like. And so, um, you know, we're so busy. Everybody mm -hmm. is so busy. And, you know, most people that I know are, have, you know, two working, two, two incomes, right. um, two, both parents are working. Um, and so your weekends are really precious. Right. Um, but this is one of the best gifts I think you can give to your family, not just to your kids, but to yourselves too, is to find a community of faith where you can create these relationships that are really different from anything else that you right. have in your life. Um, so, yeah, I think the participating in that beloved community of faith. Mm, um, beloved really, community. Yeah, it's really, to me, a glimpse of the Trinity, of the perichoresis, Beautiful. of community with God. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's worth the sacrifice and the effort that it takes um, Wonderful. to do that. Well, Cameron, thank you for being on Good God. Um, and if it's not completely obvious to you, let me say it and let people overhear um, how proud I am of you and how grateful I am that in uh, your adult life and, and mine now that we share in this kind of work together. It's a beautiful thing and it's a blessing to me. Thank you. Love you. Mm -hmm. I love you. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. 
All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.